Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It shocked me. Something like that would shock anybody as far as how it happened. I knew a lot about that stuff just because I've been fascinated with true crime stuff pretty much all my life. And I started reading more and more. I read an article about it and just pieced it together. And then I was just like, holy cow, that's so nuts. The thing that shocked me the most was knowing both of them. It was just kind of one of those instances where you're like, am I reading this right? Like, I'm going to read this article over and make sure I read what I thought I was reading. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Bannock. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter. We are smack dab in the middle of the holiday season. How are we feeling? Are we stressed? What's going on? I'm not stressed. I'm feeling very jovial, but I think that's because I'm not traveling, and that's a relief. That's true. I mean, as if you guys are listening to this, when it comes out, I will be in the middle of France driving around trying to find chateaus to get married at next year. So we're going to have fingers crossed that You're that's gonna a find successful one. trip for me. The stakes are high. You're flying all the way out there. You're going to make it happen. The stakes are so high. Um, I just wanted to remind everybody to join our Patreon. If you haven't, we have so much bonus content over there and video. We finally got video. And just good. We're doing really cool, great stuff over there. And I'm falling more and more in love with our Patreon every day. So um, get on board. Honestly, our Patreon episodes have been really good lately. I know. There are like true crime storytelling ones have been pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. Do you want to uh, know what day it is today? Yeah. What day is it today? Today is Wednesday, December 14th, and it is monkey day. Oh, I love monkeys. I love a monkey. They're so cute. I wish they weren't so terrifying because They're I would so love to They're so strong. <laughs> I'm like, I want to hug you, but you could rip my arms off at the same time. Both of them. They'll rip your face off. Yeah. It's also... There is only four days today. Monkey Day, National Boulonnaise Day. Ooh, I love a Boulonnaise. Roast Chestnuts Day. There's mm-hmm. only three. That's about it. So roast okay. those chestnuts. Not a fan, but if you are. Whatever your thing is, people. If your chestnuts are your thing, that's more power to you. Today's the day to roast them. So that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you.
So as you'll know by now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, there are a myriad of ways our first three guests are connected to either the victim or the offender, whether it's a relative, close friend, acquaintance, coworker, a neighbor, or even a brush with a random stranger. Our worlds can intersect with other people's in the strangest, but also in the most commonplace of ways. Depending on how close you are to the victim, the shock and distress of learning their fate can have lifelong impacts. On the other hand, it can be totally surreal when your suspicions are confirmed about someone in your life being a perpetrator of a terrible act, or if you learn this information like a bolt from the blue. But what happens when you know both the victim and the perpetrator? We've all had those situations of it being a small world, where people we know independently also know each other, but in a completely different context. But when one of those people does something shocking to the other, chaos can ensue when worlds collide. So we begin today's case on December 20th of 2003. So this is five days before Christmas. So everybody is probably in a frenzy getting their last minute Christmas shopping done. We all know how that last week before Christmas is. The U.S. Embassy in Paris requested that Air France cancel several flights between the two countries over terrorist concerns. And also in December of 2003 is when mad cow disease was at its peak. Do you remember mad cow disease and how... <laughs> I do. What we're, we were probably in like 10th grade and I remember it being a thing. Like No, no we're like... 13 or something. Really? In 2003? Oh, 15, maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I remember, I think I went to Europe with my family during mad cow disease and we were just, it was like, you would have thought it was COVID the oh, way totally. that everybody was freaking out about it. Totally. So in the world of pop music, Hey Ya by Outkast was in its number one spot, rightfully so. One of my favorite songs of all time. I know. And Outkast also took the number two spot with The Way You Move featuring Sleepy Brown, followed by Ludacris featuring Shauna with Stand Up at number three. And at the box office, the final installment of Lord of the Rings trilogy, Return of the King was the top grossing film. So the setting for today's case is Garland, Texas. So situated in East Central Texas in Dallas County, the city of around 217,000 people is located about 20 miles northeast of downtown Dallas. So as part of the broader Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex, Garland is on the ancestral land of several Native American tribes, including the Wichita and Cherokee. Incorporated in 1891, Garland is one of the largest manufacturing cities in the state, with more than 300 manufacturers across electronics, steel fabrication, oil fields equipment, aluminum, die casting, hat manufacturing, and food Ooh. processing. Very diverse. Very. And it's also the hometown of legendary country music singer and songwriter Leanne Rimes. Garland is also where our first degree for today's case came from and grew up, and his name is Josh. Garland is on the outskirts of Dallas, and it takes probably 15, 20 minutes to get there, like to the heart of Dallas from Garland. When Josh was in middle school, one of the peers he became friendly with was a girl named Myra. Both being into music, Josh and Myra were also in the school band together. Myra, I met in sixth grade in middle school. We kind of were in the same friend group. We weren't like skaters or punks. We were just kind of like the grunge kids, I guess. We met through there. And she was in band, and I was in band for a little while. Both Josh and Myra went on to attend South Garland High School, where Myra continued with her love of playing in the band. As well as being a talented flautist, she was well-liked and known for being an all-around lovely person. I definitely thought of her as popular in her group. I played percussion, and I mostly did it to learn skills on my drum set. 
So I didn't really take it too seriously where she was really into band, but she was pretty popular in her little band group. She was super nice. What was really kind of cool about her was she'd make friends with anybody. You know, it wasn't just her band friends. It was all sorts of people, like everybody. She was everybody's friend kind of person. Really nice, and you could talk to her easily. It was a pretty easy, low-maintenance friendship. Josh and Myra weren't best friends, but like so many high school kids, they always bumped into each other when their friendship groups kind of crossed over with each other. Outside of school, we'd go over different people's houses and she would be there and be like, oh, hey, what's up? How's it going? Just kind of, uh, you know, talking about our teacher that we had in class together. When high school finished in 2002, Josh headed off to college, and so did Myra. They drifted apart as their lives went separate ways, until eventually they lost contact. All pretty normal for young adults moving into the next phase of their lives. Any of us are lucky to escape high school as an adult with one or two friends that we knew back then. So then, almost 18 months later, in late 2003, Josh was just catching up on some local news when he read something so confronting it stopped him in his tracks. It turns out that Myra had been killed. I was off at college, and I actually found out when she had died because I was like, oh, no, I went to school with this girl. It was just kind of one of those instances where you're like, am I reading this right? Like, I'm going to read this article over and make sure I read what I thought I was reading. And then I started reading more, and it was it was like Paul Milne. And I was like, holy cow, I know a Paul Milne. I just couldn't believe that I knew both of them at the same time. My mind was blown. Josh was feeling so many things, you know, shock, confusion, and sadness. The friend he'd been in band with had been murdered. And compounding all this for Josh was this realization of, holy shit, he knew Myra's killer. But who was this Paul guy anyway? And how were he and Myra connected? To answer all these questions, you know the drill. We gotta go back. So Josh had just read about the sudden death of his high school friend, 19-year-old Myra DeLoa. Myra was born on June 1st in 1984 in Dallas, Texas, and grew up with her parents and older sister. When Myra graduated from high school on the honor roll in eighth in her class, she enrolled at Texas Tech University, where she was majoring in English. And Myra was 100% committed to her goals, which included her ambition of becoming a teacher. She was inspired by her role models at school and hoped that she could one day make the sort of positive impact on young people, which her teachers had imparted. Myra was known as a student who was on the quieter side, but listened intently. When she did have something to say, her sophisticated level of critical analysis shone through. This was also reflected in Myra's love of reading literature outside her comfort zone, which challenged and expanded her worldview. And as we've heard from Josh, aside from being a committed student, Myra was the kind of person who always had a smile on her face and made friends really, really easily. She was always laughing and just had a way of making everybody around her feel a little bit lighter with her positivity. Some of the comments on Facebook remembering Myra talk about how she was an absolute one of a kind and a wonderful person. And Myra was also heavily family-oriented and loved spending time with the younger members of her extended family. And we're looking at some pictures of Myra right now, and you can see exactly what people mean when they talk about her smile. In one shot, she's proudly striking a pose in her high school band uniform with a massive grin on her face, and she's wearing all these cute pins and a bow tie, and she's got this really cute bob haircut, and she just looks like a kind, fun lighthearted person. Yeah, she looks so cute and like so proud of what she's doing and just looks like a total sweetie pie. Yeah. 
So despite attending college full-time, Myra was as committed to band as ever, and she joined TTU's award-winning marching band known as the Goan Band. With 328 members, the Goan Band performed at all of the university's sports games, most notably those for the Red Raiders football team. Established in 1925, the Goan Band is the oldest and largest student organization at TTU. And if you look up the band's performances on YouTube, they're actually really impressive to watch. Now it's time for the whole show. Texas Tech University proudly presents the 328-member Goan Band of Raiderland. So we just played you a quick little clip of the Goan Band. And if you Google yourself, you'll really see the precision in these formations. It's pretty amazing. And as someone who was in marching band myself in high school, it was the cool thing to do, really. And I was a flautist also. I see a good marching band and I know one when I see one. Yes. Takes one to know one. Seriously, it's crazy to be able to dance around while you're holding like a bassoon. Like (laughs) it, it really blows my mind that people are so good at this. So, you know, when these bands perform at games, it really is, it brings the morale, it brings the pep, and brings something special to the atmosphere of, you know, TTU's game days. So by this point, Myra had swapped out her flute for the piccolo, an even more chic, tiny instrument. I also play the piccolo, and she played that in the marching band. And she really had a ball with her bandmates and loved the travel that was part of this experience too, even going and performing in places like Disney World. And we're going to jump back to the news article that Josh had stumbled upon that alerted him to Myra's murder. So Josh learned that another friend of his, 23-year-old Paul David Milne, was involved. It turns out that just before Josh met Myra, he actually met Paul through his local church. And both boys were in middle school, but Paul was homeschooled. I met Paul first. We went to the same church. And he was a little bit older, but we had gone into like the same, like, groups like the middle school age group and then the high school age group but he was just a year ahead of me the church i went to was in dallas and he was homeschooled his family was really nice his sister and i uh, were in the same grade and she was really nice and sweet and i wasn't necessarily like the polar opposite but he was definitely standoffish you know at first until you got to know him but his parents were like really good christians His dad was really, really nice and really kind of cool to talk to because they had so many, like, fun stories and stuff. And the mom was just as nice, too. So I didn't really get the vibe that he didn't like being homeschooled or anything like that. So like lots of preteen boys, Josh and Paul bonded over their love of heavy metal music and started spending more time together. I was a big fan of Metallica. I liked Metallica and Pantera and things like that. I've always been really into music. I grew up pretty much was raised on punk, but I like Metallica. And I think that's kind of what we had in common. We were like, oh, you like Metallica? I like Metallica. Cool. Let's hang out. And before church, we would have time and we would like hang out and play. They had billiards and we'd play pool pretty much every Sunday together. And it was usually just us two playing. We had like the same taste in music in common. So we kind of had that connection. Even though he was kind of like an outsider, I just kind of drifted towards him, just try to include everybody kind of thing. It's just the kind of person I was. 
The boys' families also spent time together as part of their church activities. While it took Josh a little while to warm up to Paul, their common interests helped the friendship really grow. I liked him. I think that he was probably misunderstood more than people didn't like him. We also went on like camping trips with our family in like a church group, and we'd always kind of hang out together and, you know, do what guys do at that age, like play with sticks, throw rocks, play in the fire, things like that. And of course, Josh and Paul's love of Metallica led to one of the key core memories we all have as teens, your first big music concert. I went and saw Metallica with him. It was the first big concert that I'd gone to, which was a pretty big deal. And we like had floor seats and everything. So overall, Josh thought that Paul was pretty cool to hang out with. And Paul obviously had a different upbringing than most of Josh's other friends. And Josh wondered if this had some impact on the way that Paul interacted with his peers socially. I definitely think that I was in a more religious place than than he was. His parents were missionaries, and I feel like he was kind of just brought to church. He was really just kind of not necessarily like the weird kid, but he was definitely like a loner. He wasn't like super religious. He was kind of doing his own thing. He wasn't really like involved too much like with church stuff while we were there. So it seemed Paul was kind of quiet as far as socializing went. But Josh felt Paul had a darker sense of humor than other kids at church, which was odd given the context of their interactions. We'd make like dark jokes or something. And if we were playing pool and we made a bad shot, like, oh, the demon must have taken that shot. Kind of jokes like that. Hello, it is me, Jack, you know, the queen of thoughtful gift giving. And if you are struggling what to give your loved one, especially your parents or your grandparents, StoryWorth is going to have you covered. So every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a life-related question that you can pick from their collection. Like an example is like, what is the bravest thing you've ever done? And all they have to do is reply with a story. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles everything into an exquisite hardcover book. And the whole process is really, really simple for them. I love it so much because not only is it a gift, it's interactive, and you can have these stories for the rest of your life. So you can get started with your loved one for the holidays, and before you know it, you'll both be cherishing those timeless stories for generations to come. Help your family share the story of this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash first degree today and save $10 off your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash first degree to save $10. Storyworth.com slash first degree. I took French in high school and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French. And it was only when I got there, I realized just how rusty I'd gotten. And I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Allo Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Allo Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves com and use code first for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code first, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code first. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com first. Thrivemarket.com first. As our first degree Josh progressed through high school in the late 90s, he noticed his friend from church, Paul, starting to get into, we're going to call it the alternative scene. He started finding his own, we'll call it personal style. He wore his hair differently and his personal style continued to evolve, but it seemed to be slanting a little dark. It wasn't the sort of thing Josh was into, especially coming from a more religious family, and it sort of made him pull away, not because Josh was judging Paul, but it just seemed that their interests were going in different directions. He wasn't like gothic, but he was pretty darn close. He had started wearing all black clothes. He had cut his hair pretty drastically. I remember in the wintertime, he had worn like a military like wool and like trench coat type of thing. And that was like part of his style and it was just kind of a weird kind of transition because it was you know he was wearing band shirts and things like that but this was pretty dark considering like what he's normally been in like a little much for me I wasn't looking down on it it was just kind of one of those like 
wow, you shaved your head and you have like a weird haircut now and you're wearing like this military jacket thing, like what's going on with that? And he had spikes. I remember seeing a couple of times and it's just like, wow, dude, I was kind of a skater prep punk kind of mixture. <laughs> and so it was kind of not my vibe, I guess. Josh was okay with their friendship drifting apart because he had other things to think about, like going to college. It was mostly friendly. We never ever had a falling out or anything like that. He just started to get more gothic, and that wasn't my vibe or whatever. We went off to college, and we kind of just drifted away. Part of what shocked Josh so much to read about Paul's involvement in Myra's murder was that Josh hadn't really noticed any red flags about his friend while they were growing up that could explain any potential for violence. And I never saw him, you know, be aggressive, especially at church. But outside of church, when we had hung out, it wasn't very aggressive. I didn't really notice him acting like strange in that way. Or, you know, like, oh, man, dude, this guy's off. What's up with him? Kind of thing. I didn't necessarily think of him as like the killer type, I guess. I knew a lot about that stuff just because I've been fascinated with true crime stuff pretty much all my life. You know, it was like, oh, he didn't show signs of hurting animals or doing anything like that. I thought it was all kind of just jokes that we had that were dark or, you know, just that the jokes. I didn't think that he was that person. Josh remembered one relationship Paul had, which seemed kind of odd. And at some point, Josh heard that Paul had received mental health treatment, but he didn't really know too much more about it. He had one girlfriend that I knew of, and it was definitely a weird relationship. It was like one of those kind of relationships where like the Paul I know wouldn't be into this type of girl kind of thing. And I think that she was the one that kind of got him into goth kind of stuff. And I did read in an article that when he was younger, he went to like a psych ward. I never really thought like, oh, psych ward, crazy, stay away kind of thing. Around 1997, when Paul was 16 years old, he got a job at Kroger, where he worked for the next two years and even won Employee of the Month. Well, that is something. So it seemed like things were going well for Paul until one day he quit out of the blue after he was assigned a task that he found too overwhelming. And now we're going to get back to Myra. So Josh had no idea that his two friends had met each other separately and embarked on a romantic relationship because by this point he'd lost touch with both of them. Myra and Paul had met through work at a bookstore in Dallas in the summer of 2003, and they started dating. I think that they met, Paul was working at Half Price Bookstore, which is like a used bookstore. So Josh wasn't sure about what someone like Myra would have seen in Paul. So obviously Josh thought Paul was nice enough, right? He hung out with him, he listened to Metallica with him, but he didn't really seem like the sort of guy that Myra would want to date. And to put it simply, Myra was probably too good for Paul. She might have saw, like, a different kind of person or something. I would say, like, she listened to, you know, rock and stuff. So there was probably some commonality there. I think that they might have connected with that or, you know, just kind of worked together and kind of blossomed from that. I found out that I knew both of them when the murder happened. So as we know, Josh didn't even know Paul and Myra had been dating until after he heard about her murder. And it's not exactly clear what the relationship dynamics were, but it appears things were up and down during the course of Paul and Myra's brief relationship. 
When the summer was over and Myra returned to her college classes and campus life, it seemed as though she started having second thoughts about the relationship. Her life was really full, and then she met somebody else. And this is common when you go off to college and evolve. When Myra returned home to Garland for winter break in 2003, she knew she had to end things with Paul. The day before she died, Myra told a friend that Paul was not taking the news of Myra wanting to end the relationship well. And in fact, Paul had made threats to her and had said that he was going to kill her. And despite what a massive red flag this is, Myra felt for whatever reason that Paul was full of shit and didn't seem actually worried about her safety. It probably speaks to Myra's sweet nature and her tendency to believe the best in people that she didn't really get alarmed by Paul's comments and threats. Late on the night of December 20th, Myra dropped Paul home to where he lived with his parents. And it's not clear from research where they were prior to this, but as the pair chatted on Paul's front porch, Myra told him that she felt it was best that they end their relationship. Myra got up to leave, and as she walked back to her car, Paul pulled out a knife, chased after her, and proceeded to stab her 19 times. Now, this was in front of Paul's house, so Paul's sister was home and heard Myra's screams and woke up their dad, who's named Rich. So Rich ran out to the driveway and grabbed Paul by the throat in an effort to restrain him. And as soon as he grabbed his son, he felt Paul's body relax and he didn't fight back. Paul at this point tells his father that he's not resisting and starts apologizing and praying that Myra wouldn't die. But by this time, first responders arrived and it was too late. Myra had died. I talked to my grandmother who was friends with his parents and stuff and kind of found out like the details of what had happened. And from my understanding, he was dating Myra and I guess she wanted to break it off and he wasn't too happy about that. It was around the holidays. She came home to like break it off with him or to talk and work things out. I think she like broke up with him finally or like, hey, we're going our separate ways. In the hours after Paul's arrest, he confessed to police saying that when he and Myra sat on the front porch, they didn't really talk that much. His confession continued. He said, I said goodbye. At that point, the voices in my head just yelled and screamed, she has to die. She has to pay. That's when I took the pocket knife out of my pant pocket. I grabbed Myra around her neck with my arm. I started stabbing her with the knife. I was watching. I was watching my hand stabbing her. It was like my mind wasn't connected to my body. The voices were yelling, laughing, and screaming. Myra tried to resist. And he continued. He just said, I just overpowered her. She tried to fight, but my body was strong. I don't remember very much after the scream until my dad grabbed me. That's when the scream stopped and the voices were quiet. My dad had me on the ground. He had come up and pulled me off Myra. After that, I dropped the knife and I asked my father to kill me. I mean, that is just horrifying, and we can't imagine how Paul's father would have felt coming into the situation, having to restrain his son from stabbing his girlfriend in some frenzy, let alone the sheer terror that Myra would have felt in these final awful moments. It's really heartbreaking. So when the news of this incident ultimately happened, Paul was identified as the killer, and Josh finds himself reluctantly getting pulled into conversations with former high school friends about what had happened. Now, remember, Paul didn't go to high school with him, but Myra did. So obviously these people know Myra and are completely devastated. At the Red Raiders' next football game at the Houston Bowl, the Goan band that Myra was a part of, all the members wore black armbands and dedicated their halftime performance to Myra. But as someone who knew both parties, 
Josh occupied this weird space all on its own. Most of my friends that I talked to were from high school. And so they were a lot of times bashing Paul. And so I kind of just kept that to a minimum because I didn't want to be like, well, you know, I, I was friends with Paul and he wasn't like that or whatever. You know, like Myra didn't deserve this, which she didn't. And the whole, you know, like Paul's evil. Prosecutors charged Paul with Myra's murder, but it wasn't going to be a capital case. For that threshold to be reached, in Texas, there would have to be some kind of aggravating factors, like Paul sexually assaulting Myra. And on another note, it is worth mentioning that in our research for this story, it was really disheartening to find that there was really next to no media coverage in the case in general. And we are going to talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. The domestic abuse 19-year-old Myra experienced at the hands of her boyfriend, Paul, is also known as teen dating violence. And according to the CDC, it's unfortunately relatively common, like way more common than I even understood. So as recently as 2019, one in 12 teens, usually those socialized as young women, reported experiencing physical dating violence as well as sexual dating violence. So youth activist nonprofit DoSomething.org reports that young women aged between 16 and 24 are three times more likely than the rest of the population to be abused by an intimate partner. That's a lot. So a whopping 81% of parents either don't believe teen dating violence is an issue with their teen or admit they don't know if it's an issue. So people are really underinformed about this particular type of relationship violence. And what's even more staggering is that eight states in the U.S. still don't consider a violent dating relationship to be domestic abuse. I don't even know how that is possible, but whatever. The flow-on effect means that teens and young people in their 20s in these states are unable to apply for a restraining order to protect them from the abuser. And it just doesn't make any fucking sense. So we mentioned it was pretty difficult to find much public information about Myra's case. 
So these days, we're hyper aware of how much intimate partner violence affects young people. And it's probably fair to say that people under 25 are now so much more aware of what a healthy and safe relationship looks like compared to 20 years ago, right? We have a lot more access to education and resources with the internet. But is the reason that Myra's murder hardly made the news due to perception of what a victim of intimate partner violence was supposed to look like? She and Paul weren't married. They didn't have kids. They weren't even living together. And they were young. Young enough that some sections of the media may have dismissed it as a tragic case of love gone wrong. Almost eliciting empathy for Paul, which is just gross and inauthentic and accurate. As far as the media coverage, it seems that Myra's murder wasn't considered domestic abuse in the same way others are when the warning signs were exactly the same. And it's a really sad indictment on the media's attitude towards intimate partner violence at the time, if you ask me. And the fact that Myra was a woman, a teen of color, just makes this lack of available reporting even more on the nose and sad. Tons of parents out there worry so much about their kids being careful when it comes to being sexually active, but it's even more important for parents to have conversations with their kids about what healthy relationships look like and what they do if they notice red flags. So a month after Myra's murder, a friend of hers started a website in her honor. And unfortunately, the site's been archived, but it was a place where everybody could come together virtually and leave messages of support for her family. And Myra's mom drew a great amount of comfort from the outpouring of grief and reading about how profoundly her daughter had touched people's lives despite her short time on earth. At Paul's trial in October of 2005, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. The thrust of his defense was that Paul claimed he'd heard voices telling him to kill Myra. This was new information to Josh, who told us Paul had never mentioned anything during their friendship about having auditory delusions. During the trial, Paul's cousin testified that he spent a few hours with Paul on the day of the murder and that he seemed different, saying Paul appeared to have side conversations with somebody who wasn't there. However, Paul's cousin neglected to mention this whole thing in his initial police statement in the weeks following Myra's murder. He also didn't tell the police this when he gave them his statement in early January of 2004. So is this something that he's making up after the fact in an effort to help his cousin? I don't know. Maybe. The defense experts testified they diagnosed Paul with an unspecified dissociative disorder and that at the time of the killing, he didn't know his conduct was wrong. But they also testified Paul was malingering to appear more unwell than he actually was. The psychologist himself told the court that Paul had shown a willingness to tell lies to suit his needs. The prosecution made short work of the insanity defense, presenting two psychiatrists who testified that Paul was not insane at the time of the murder. After all, Paul told his dad and the cops that he wasn't resisting. And only two hours after the murder, he described what happened in complete detail. One state psychiatrist diagnosed Paul with antisocial and narcissistic traits, testifying that Paul told her that he hadn't had any auditory hallucinations while in custody, despite not taking prescribed medication to treat such symptoms. Paul's cousin also testified that around Thanksgiving, Paul told him that he was going to stab Myra to death. So that sounds a lot like premeditation to me, especially considering he'd threatened Myra's life at least once to Myra. Paul even showed his cousin a knife that he'd bought specifically and explained that he'd research where to stab Myra to make her bleed the fastest. So that's disgusting and it doesn't sound like insanity to me. Paul told his cousin additional plans he had about getting rid of Myra after he executed this plan. Beyond the knife, he bought a tarp and a gas can as well. And then more evidence emerged in court showing exactly the kind of person that Paul really was. 
So while in jail awaiting trial, Paul wrote to his parents asking them to mortgage their house to pay for his legal costs, saying they were obligated to as the college education he never got. It's pretty arrogant. And his lack of responsibility is kind of breathtaking. In these letters, he also told his mom that she was a failure as a parent and that Myra was the one who had to pay the price for the mom's poor parenting. I mean, that's some pretty sickening things to say to your own mother when you are the one who's taken someone's life senselessly. And then asking them for For money money. to pay his legal costs. Like, Like, okay, dude. Get a grip. So in another letter, it was like Paul had completely forgotten that he'd been a complete asshole to his family, as we were just stating, repeatedly asking his mom to talk to his cousin about his testimony, asking for his help. There was a trial, and from what I understand, he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Like his dad, like basically, like grabbed him and threw the knife away from him as he was in the act. And his sister was there, and there's too many witnesses for him to be like, I didn't do it, or you know, not guilty, type of things. You'll recall that a little earlier in our story, Josh mentioned that Paul had received mental health treatment as a teen. So in 1997, when Paul was 15 years old, he spent time in a psychiatric facility due to issues that he had with his girlfriend at the time, who we're going to call Tina. Paul had a history of depression, violent rages, and had attempted to take his own life multiple times over the relationship, so his parents sought help, as you would as parents. And Paul had no history of violence, but prior to his hospital admission, he and Tina attempted to take their own lives together. Paul had also planned to kill Tina's family, but thankfully it wasn't carried out. So it's clear that Paul had a lot of unresolved issues, which he carried into his brief relationship with Myra. In mid-October of 05, Paul was found guilty of Myra's murder. A week later, he received the maximum sentence of life in prison and a $10,000 fine. Paul appealed his conviction, but it was affirmed by the Texas Fifth Court of Appeals in 2008. For Josh, the complete randomness of knowing both the killer and the victim completely independently of each other was a strange thing to work through. It was hard because even though Josh went to school with Myra, he'd been closer with Paul, which meant he had a lot of feelings to reconcile and grapple with. I think that... The fact that I was closer with him than Myra, I think that that's just, I kind of feel like, man, I was friends with someone who killed somebody, kind of like astonished. The thing that shocked me the most was knowing both of them. He stabbed her, and that's a pretty up-close and intimate kind of way to kill somebody. And just thinking about, I knew this guy, and he did that. That's nuts. Like, just thinking about her and how, like, she had a lot going for her. She was in college and in band and, you know, that, you know, the life cut short. It's been a long time since Myra was killed. And for his own reasons, Josh doesn't like to dwell too much on what could have been for his friend who was on a path to achieving great things. Myra's life was snuffed out all because Paul didn't know how to deal with rejection and felt that his bruised ego had more value than Myra and anything in the future she'd ever do. He definitely drifted away from what I knew of him as just probably like a case of like young love and, you know, the emotions of that kind of stuff. Didn't know how to handle it. It really makes you think about domestic violence, even if it's a young relationship. It's not just, you know, like living together and, you know, what typically people think of domestic abuse or domestic violence. 
I think about it from time to time. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. So if there's ever like an episode or a story about young love and, you know, them being killed, like one of them killing the other, I think about it or it kind of jogs my memory of that. I try to have a better outlook and not bring up those types of memories. And if you're wondering, Josh has no contact with Paul today. He shared his thoughts with us about how he feels about Paul now. Part of me thinks, you know, you do the crime, you do the time kind of thing. I think it's fair punishment, but I think he can still be a good person in prison and, you know, come to terms with what he's done and, you know, still be a, a good good person. I don't necessarily think that he should get out just because, you know, that's a pretty heinous crime. But I do think that while he's in there, he can make the most of it. There's no doubt that Josh found himself in a unique yet unenviable position in the aftermath of Myra's murder. It's proof that we never really know just how close to home violent crime and domestic violence at that can strike. It's always a tragedy when women die at the hands of an intimate partner, but in this case, even more so, because Myra had so much potential and a great life ahead of her. She didn't want to stay in a relationship that wasn't right for her, and that was her right to end it. But instead of Paul respecting Myra's decision to be free to live life on her own terms, he decided that if he couldn't have her, nobody could. All because his fragile ego couldn't take no for an answer. Paul's life is forever changed, forever ruined, but at least his family gets to visit him. He'll one day have the chance of getting his life back on track, a chance that he cruelly took away from Myra, which her loved ones can never get back. Thank you to Josh for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us. Hello at the first degree podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group, join our Patreon for so much bonus content and check back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of killing time right in your feed. And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are Court Documents, The Daily, Torridor, KCBD News, The Fort Worth Star-Telegram, The Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Texas Tech University, CDC, CampusSafetyMagazine.com, and DoSomething.org. And as always, our first three guest is always our largest source. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.